0: A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, according to Shigenoth. O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work, O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. His brightness was like the light Rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence, and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Cushan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers? Or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses on your chariot of salvation? You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place. At the light of your arrows, as they sped, at the flash of your glittering spear, you marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters. I hear, and my body trembles, my lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones, my legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. This is the word of the Lord.
1: We uh, continue listening in on Habakkuk's conversation with God, and we now come to the point where the prophet pauses to reflect on what he heard from the Lord. You may remember that he asked two questions, two huge questions. The first one was about all the injustice and violence and sin in Judah and in his, own, his own city, his own country. He asked God, how can you tolerate that and make me watch this happen and you're not doing anything? And so God's answer to that was, I'm going to send the Babylonians to address that. There will be discipline on my people, and the Babylonians will come and sweep through this country and take people away, and that's how I'm going to address that sin. Of course, the second question then from Habakkuk was, God, how can you do that? How can you send the Babylonians? People are more evil than us. To address our own evil. God's response to that was in chapter 2 that Babylon will be punished, all evil will be punished, and until then, the righteous, the faithful need to live by faith, by trusting God, by staying faithful to God through that exile, through that occupation and invasion. So now, after two questions and two answers, Habakkuk pauses, and he worships. He worships. Chapter 3 is a song. It's a psalm. It's it's Habakkuk expression of, of his response to what God told him. He worships God, and he recalls all God's acts from the past, and he reflects on God's character, and he prepares himself for what is yet to come. And so tonight, today we're going to talk about, hopefully not until tonight, I know you want, to, you want to watch the game, but this morning we're going to talk about worship, because worship is a very important aspect of, of approaching with our doubts and, and our struggles, taking that to God faithfully. So we'll look at Habakkuk's psalm and try to understand what worship actually is and how it fits with our trusting God with our troubled hearts. So I'll make five points about worship this morning. So if you've taken notes, make sure you leave space for five points, usually three with me, but it's five today. Okay, number one, we worship in response to God's Word. We worship in response to the Word of God. Our worship begins because God first speaks to us. Now look at Habakkuk. He's responding, of course, to what he heard from God in chapter 1 and 2. So chapter 3 is a response to the previous two chapters. He's processing what God told him. However, it's broader than that. Look at verse 2 of chapter 3. Habakkuk says, "'O Lord, I have heard the report of You.'" Habakkuk is recalling what he has heard read from the Scriptures, presumably the temple or somewhere else, he's, he's responding to what he heard from God's book. Specifically, as we will see, describing Israel's exodus from Egypt and the conquest of Canaan and God's works, through that, all of that is recorded, and Habakkuk knows all those stories, he knows all those events, and he says, I have heard that, I've read that, and now I'm responding to that in worship. The prophet is responding to what he heard from God, his word, his book. As you know, we begin our worship services with a call to worship, which includes a reading from the Bible, and it is very intentional on our part, because we know that we come to worship prompted and shaped by God's word. We come to worship because God has called us to worship him because He has revealed Himself to us, because He is speaking to us, because He wants us to speak to Him. That's why we come. We don't come on our own initiative. We don't come with our own understanding of who God is, but we come in response to what He tells us about Himself and what He tells us about us. We respond to His Word. All of you are here because you heard the Gospel. At least I hope that is why you are here. And if you have come for any other reason, I hope that when you hear the gospel, you'll stay here because of the gospel and come back because of the gospel. Now, what is the gospel? It's the good news of Jesus Christ, what He came to do for us. Now, in the ancient world, this term gospel was often used of a messenger bringing the news of a victory of the king. A king would go out into battle, and people who were left in the city would wait for that word to come back. And they would look and they would see, much like Habakkuk, he says, "I've stationed myself on the on the on the wall. I'm waiting for God's answer." So people would wait for that messenger to come, and when the messenger would run or ride on the horse, and they and, and he would approach, they would look for him and they would listen for him to say, "Victory! Victory! The king has won the battle," and people in the city would rejoice. And welcome the messenger and prepare to welcome the king who will come back in a triumphal procession. The gospel is that. It's a proclamation of God's victory on our behalf. Jesus Christ has defeated our enemies, the flesh, the world, the devil, and he has established his kingdom forever. He lived in obedience that we owe to God and he died for our disobedience. On the cross, Jesus absorbed the wrath of God, rightly directed at us, at our sins, but Jesus absorbed that on our behalf. And then when He rose from the dead, He offered eternal life with God in His renewed creation to all who trust Him, who believe in Him. This is the gospel. It's a word of grace to us. It's a word of great victory on our behalf. And because God says that to us, we respond and worship. We say, God, you did this for us, and so now we gather to look at you, to worship you, to obey you, to rejoice in your presence. You heard this Jesus, this crucified and risen Jesus, say, believe in me, and you will have life, and now we come to worship him. You heard this Jesus say, follow me, and we come in response to that to worship Him. Have you heard the gospel? Have you responded to the gospel by trusting in Jesus? Because if you have, what you're doing right now, what you do every Sunday when you gather on the Lord's Day to worship Him is the most natural thing in the world because we respond to His word, His word of grace, His word of the gospel to us. And if you have responded to the gospel, you have already discovered that you're not the only one who responded to that word God the holy spirit is gathering a community of people who have responded to the gospel and who want to worship him and that's my second point we worship in community with the people of god first in response to the word of god but then in community with the people of god chapter 3 is a psalm I mean, you see, even if you read it, you you probably noticed all these terms that are familiar from the Psalms. Shigenoth, which is found in Psalm 7. Three times we see Selah, which is just a a pause, a musical term. We need to pause between verses, much like we do when we sing. And in verse 19, there's a note for the choir master to use stringed instruments. It's a note to the worship leader. Make sure you use the guitar for this one. That's, that's what he's saying. And the reason for all this is because this psalm is written to be sung in corporate worship. Habakkuk is writing this song as a reflection on what God told him so we can sing it together, so we can do what we're doing today. We gather and we look at it and we, we study it and we learn from God together. Habakkuk wants us to process what God is saying to him because he's also saying it to us. If you are struggling in your faith, which has been the background of this book, right? A lot of the, the sermons that, that we have we have preached on this, on this book had to do with us struggling, us coming to God with real questions and doubts and, and pain, not knowing what to make of what's going on in our lives, in our hearts or around us. And so if you're struggling in your faith, You should struggle in community with other believers. Habakkuk records this difficult conversation with God. It's difficult. The questions he's asking are hard questions. The answers he's getting are difficult answers to accept. But he's recording that because he thinks it would be helpful to a whole lot of people. And then he writes a worship song because he thinks that we need to struggle together. We need to hear God's word together and respond and worship together. We all have a deficient faith. Now, you may not have come this morning with, with a huge question you have to God. Well, you have some questions. You may not have faith shattering doubt, but you have some doubt. And of course, some of us have huge issues we're bringing to God this morning but we're coming together. We're coming together. Corporate worship allows us to reflect on what God is saying together. Yes, it's good to do it individually, but we must also do it together. And when we gather with all our deficient, imperfect faith put together, our faith is strengthened. Listen to Thomas McKenzie. He says, the only one with pure belief is God himself. The only person who has has real faith, pure faith, that that has no mixture of doubt is God. The rest of us are far, far away on some kind of spectrum between okay-for-today practice of faith and doubt that ends in despair. We're all somewhere in between. In communal worship, especially in confessing of the creed, we can aid one another in our doubt. We can borrow faith, in a sense, from the community and from the saints. But really, we're all reliant on the God of grace to continue to pour himself out on us through his word and sacraments, but in other ways as well. Now, he's speaking from his Anglican tradition, so you you hear the terms that are familiar to him. But the reality is, is true for any believer who gathers with others for corporate worship. When we affirm the gospel together, when we proclaim our faith together, we borrow faith from each other, but also from all those who have come before us. And we're saying, I believe just like all these people believe, just like all these people have believed through the centuries. We come and listen to God's word together, and we respond at the table together, and God pours out His grace on us. We must bring our weakness to the God of grace. We come weak to Him. That's what Habakkuk does. Look at verse 16. After this great reflection on on God's amazing works and on God's character, he says in verse 16, I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. Habakkuk is struggling, but he brings that struggle to God in the community with other believers, saying we all need to rely on God's grace together. I think Mackenzie is right that when we confess the gospel together, when we recite the creed or we sing a song that, that recites the gospel we help each other in our doubt, and we get to borrow faith from each other. I love that phrase, we borrow faith from each other. Because you borrow by grace, right? And, and, and we all need that. We all need to be together. We need to see people who are stronger than us in their faith and people who are weaker than us in our faith. But together, God helps us. He gives us enough grace. As we open ourselves to God, Yes, personally, individually, yes, that's, that's real, that's important, but also together. Using this corporate worship as one of His channels, God pours out His grace on us. You know, during this pandemic, of course, many of us have struggled with being together and sometimes being restricted, sometimes being sick, uh, not able to be together. It's been difficult, I think, for all of us. But the aftermath of the pandemic is that some people, some believers, will just remain in this false understanding of worship. They will continue to see worship as consumption of content. I can just get what I need. And of course, you can get it online, you can get it through books, you can get it in many ways. But you can just go and get a sermon. You can go and get good music. You can go and listen to someone's prayer. And there's value in that. And, and as an alternative to not doing any of that, it's good. You're watching online? That's better than not watching, than not participating. But it's not the real thing. The real thing is to be together. You have to be together. You have to be in person. This is how God has designed it. And as we gather for corporate worship, God works on us. But he doesn't just work on us individually, he works through us. He uses each one of us in other people's lives. Worship is not just consuming spiritual content. Worship is interacting with God together with other believers. I need you to sing next to me. I need you to do that. That helps me in my faith. I need to walk behind you toward the communion table. That encourages me. That supports me. I need to hear your amen. As a preacher, of course, always. <laughs> but as a believer, as a brother, I need to know that the Word of God is connected with you as it is, co- is connecting with me. And I need you to write your psalm and your song and record it so we can sing it together. Because that is how God works on our faith. Together, in community, with each other. Number three, we worship by recalling the facts of God. We worship by recalling the facts of God. I got this phrase, the facts of God, from a quote by, by George Ernest Wright, who was an Old Testament scholar, I think he passed away in the 70s, um, and he was an archaeologist, he said, "'Biblical theology is first and foremost a theology of recital, in which biblical man confesses his faith by reciting the formative events of his history as the redemptive handiwork of God. The realism of the Bible consists in its close attention to the facts of history,' and of tradition, because these facts are the facts of God. The facts of history, the facts of Bible history, redemptive history, are the facts of God. Our faith depends on what God has actually done in history, in in specific geographic locations, with specific people. And as you read this Psalm from Habakkuk, you see specific references. He's talking about specific things that happened in specific places among specific people. What he is describing is what happened. Now, sure, it's in poetic form, but it is based in actual facts of God. Habakkuk recalls what God has done for his people in the past, and particularly he looks back at the exodus of God's people from Egypt. He mentions the plagues. He mentions the parting of the sea. And of course, then the parting of the Jordan River later when they cross into the land. He mentions the sun and moon standing still at Gibeon as Joshua defeated the Amorites. You see, what he's doing is he's recalling what God has already done. He remembers it because he heard that report. He read the scriptures. He knows what God did, and he goes back to that. To prepare for the future, Habakkuk goes to the past and he analyzes what God has done. He remembers that so he can now project what God will do in the future. He roots himself in the history of God's works on behalf of his people. That's all we do in worship. We remember, we recall, we recite what God has done. In that classic Saturday Night Live sketch, Chris Farley was interviewing Paul McCartney. I don't know, some of you have seen it, I'm sure. I've watched it again this week and laughed. It was not much of an interview, of course, because Farley was a fanboy getting to meet his idol, couldn't really get his, his questions right. And really all he did was just, was just say, do you remember, he says, do you remember when you were part of the Beatles? Says, that, was, that was awesome, he said. <laughs> that's the question, that's, that's the interview. He was simply recalling and remembering the things that he liked, the things that he enjoyed about Paul McCartney's work. And isn't that what we do when we gather to worship as well? We come together and we say, Lord, do you remember when you were born as a little baby in Bethlehem? That was awesome. Do you remember, Lord, when you you taught people and you healed people? And you fed people. Do you remember that? That was incredible. That was incredible. Do you remember when you obeyed every little part of the law for me? That was great. And then do you remember when they took you and they betrayed you and then they, they, they put you on trial and then they put you on that cross where you willingly died for me, for my sins. Do you remember that? That was amazing. The Amazing thing you did for us. And then do you remember that that Sunday morning, three days after you were killed on the cross for my sins, you rose again from the dead. Do you remember the empty tomb? Wasn't the tomb empty? Isn't that true that now I have eternal life with you? That was awesome. That's worship, isn't it? Think about the songs we sing. Most of our songs simply recite what God has done for us. They proclaim truths of God, facts of God, so we can once again know what He is like and then apply that to whatever I am bringing to Him this morning from my troubled heart. I worship Him because I know Him through His facts, through what He has done in His redemptive history for His people. Fourthly, the facts of God show us the person of God, and so we worship in view of the glory of God. We worship in view of the glory of God. In the midst of his, his recalling of God's works, Habakkuk reflects on the character of God. That is a natural progression for us. We, we look at what God has done and we reflect on what he has done for us. That makes us think of who he is. We make certain connections and deductions as to who. He is what he is like, what his personality, what his character is like. And so Habakkuk does the same. And verse 2, he begins by saying, In wrath, remember mercy. In wrath, remember mercy. There's a huge assumption here, right? The assumption is that, that God is wrathful, that he is angry. He's angry against sin, but he's also merciful. Now, where did he get that? He got it from God's facts, from the works that that he has seen God do. He also gets it because God, God tells him that I will send the Babylonians, but the righteous will live by faith. Yes, there will be wrath, but there will be mercy in the midst of it. And I will save you, I will help you. And so Habakkuk prays based on God's character. He prays, in wrath, remember mercy. He says, I know it's going to be very difficult and I know judgment is coming, but remember mercy. Save us. That's what he's praying for. And then in verse 6, a little bit further down in the psalm, he says, He's where the everlasting ways. He's where the everlasting ways. He, he now acknowledges that God is not like us, not temporary. He's not just concerned with what's happening right now, but His ways are everlasting. He doesn't change. He's working out His purposes throughout history. And so as Habakkuk focuses on who God is, he sees God's glory, which, of course, fuels his worship When we worship God and experience His glory, and by the way, glory is just the the expression of who God is. It's an expression of His character. It's radiance of, of His nature. But when we do that, when we focus on who God is and worship, we gain perspective. We gain perspective. And we need perspective when we suffer or we struggle or we doubt. When you hurt, it's hard to think about anything else but what is hurting right? This naturally consumes you, naturally consumes you. Worship breaks us out of it and allows us to see a much bigger picture. It's like a, a classic comedy trope, and almost any sitcom has that, that episode where, where somebody stubs their toe, and then in the process, they hit their head, and they pass out, and then the fire breaks out, right? then they throw lighter fluid on the fire thinking it's water, and then at the end, you know, the whole house is gone. And you watch that and you say, what a dope, right? How can anybody do that? The reason we think that and say that is because we're watching it from outside. When you're in it, there's no awareness of what's happening, right? When we're doing that, when we're stubbing our toe and we're trying to hold on to something that pulls down, you know, we do that. We do that because we're stuck in it, But if you're able to put yourself out of it and look at it and look at your life on the screen, as it were, or better yet, look at your life from the perspective of God, whose ways are everlasting, that's perspective, isn't it? Remember Isaiah 6, when Isaiah, who's struggling with his own stuff, the king is gone, who knows what's going on in Judah, in Jerusalem at that time, and then he has this vision. Vision of God on the throne, high and lifted up, glory filling the earth. There's angels who, are, who can't, one holy is not enough, so they have to do three holies, and then they just keep repeating it. So he gets this vision of God, right? God lifted high, he's on high, he's, he's looking from above down. And it changes Isaiah's perspective on his life. Isaiah goes, woe is me, I'm lost. I don't think he thought he was lost before. He saw that vision, and then ends with, here I am, sent me. That's the view from above that he's getting. It's the view from from God's throne that makes Isaiah see his life totally different. He gets to see his life on the screen from the perspective of the writer, producer, and director of, of his silly sitcom, and that is what happens in worship with all of us. You come, and you sing, and you recite the facts of God, and you respond to his word, and you do it with other believers, and you start seeing your life from God's perspective. I grew up in a city that was separated, is separated by by a big river right in the middle, and the right bank is very, very hilly, and the left bank is completely flat. I grew up on the right bank, and so I'm used to be able to go to lots of places in the city and see large portions of it. In fact, I, my, my grandma used to live on the ninth floor in an apartment building, and, and I could just look out of the window and I could see this, this, this beautiful, just huge portions of the city. Now, if you're living on the left bank, completely flat. all you, can, you can't see beyond your neighborhood. And so worship brings us from the left bank to the right. In worship, you cross the river. And you get on the hill, and you're able to see what's going on, and you're able to, by the way, defend the city much easier from the right bank than from the left. My grandpa was, was part of, in World War II, they were retaking the city, taking the city back from the Germans, and they were coming from, from the east, and they were coming through the left bank into the, onto the right bank, and it was incredibly difficult, and many people died, because it's easier to defend the city from the right bank than from the left. And so is our life. It's easier to see what's going on in your life when you're elevated, when you're looking from God's perspective, when you're on a hill, you're able to see and you're able to defend, you're able to make better decisions about your life. And worship does that. When we gather to worship and recite the facts of God in the gospel, we see God as He is. We see His glory. And like Habakkuk and like Isaiah and like Job, like many, many others, our perspective changes we realize that our greatest problem is not our stub toe or even cancer or even money issues or a foreign invasion our greatest problem is our sin and on the cross of jesus our god in his wrath remembered mercy and we are saved and by that same faith that the same trust that that we have received this gift of forgiveness and acceptance, we will also live and survive and persevere until the end, because the glory of God is at stake. And that changes your perspective on life, right? That's what happens in worship. That's what happens when we gather and we sing songs and we'll listen to God's word and we pray, we gain that perspective. And finally, my last point, we worship in anticipation of the work of God. We worship in anticipation of the work of God. When you pray, when you worship, when you read scripture, what do you expect from God? Do you expect anything? Do you expect that God will act, that something will change, that God will respond to your prayers? I am constantly convicted that in many of my prayers, I have no expectation that God will answer. It's a terrible thing to realize. You realize that you're, I'm praying. I'm saying words. I'm doing the right things. But I don't know if I'm expecting God to answer me. When we worship, we really worship, there should be an expectation of God working, of God doing something, of God responding. Habakkuk prays in expectation of God's work. Look at verse 2. He begins his prayer and he says, O Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work, O Lord do I fear? In the midst of the years, revive it. Revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known in wrath remember mercy. He's saying, I remember what you've done in the past. He says, do it again. Do it again. Come and save your people again. We know that this is going to be very difficult, and the Babylonians are coming, and we know this is part of your design, but so was Egypt. Egypt was part of your design, and you've saved us. In your wrath you remembered mercy then, now do it again. Revive your work again, now. That's the beginning of the psalm. He starts there, and then toward the end, verse 16, he says, I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. It's not easy for him. Yet, I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. I will quietly wait, Lord, for you to fulfill your promise that you will punish them. All evil will be punished. I will wait. In worship, he is determined to wait until God works. He's expecting God to work. He expects that there will be mercy from God, just like there's been mercy from God in the past, that God will come to the aid of His people. And the picture of God in this psalm, which is not an unusual picture in Scripture, is a picture of a divine warrior. God fighting on behalf of his people. Habakkuk expects God to do that. He expects God to continue to fight for his people, to do it again like he's done in the past. Charles Spurgeon said, what he has done at one time, he will do yet again. Man's ways are variable, but God's ways are everlasting. If you read um, different translations of of this psalm of chapter 3 of Habakkuk, you will find that that some translations will put some verbs in the future tense and some in the past. If you read commentaries, some will take this, this chapter as, as I did, as a recitation of what happened, and some will try to put it forward and say, this is still coming. In some way, both are kind of right, because in the way God writes prophecy is, is right writing history, right? There's a sense in which when God proclaims something will happen, it's already as good as it's happened. And whenever God sa- says that something did happen and we can look at His works in the past, we can expect Him to do it again. We can expect Him to continue to be in character and continue to do what He does. There's, there's reason why prophecy is often presented in a way that reads like history, and history points us to prophecy. When we worship, we look forward to what God will do when Jesus returns in glory. One of the main elements of a worship gathering should be that anticipation of fulfillment of God's promises, that anticipation of His return, that expression of hope and worship that He is coming again. And when He comes, when Jesus comes, He will come to judge the living and the dead. There will be wrath and mercy Wrath for all those who have not worshipped Jesus and mercy for all who have. He will come for his own people and he will wipe away our tears and he will avenge our enemies. The great war will be over. Babylon will fall and we will all live in the new Jerusalem with our God forever. Let me finish with Mark 13, the passage we started with which was our call to worship, Mark thirteen twenty four and following. But in those days, after that tribulation, after you struggle, after you go through all the stuff you're going through now, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. That's our Jesus coming for us. And then He will send out the angels and gather His elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. Wherever you will be on that day, He will find you, and He will gather you with all the other people He loves, and we will worship Him forever.